Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. And this is London, but coming to you, of course, all over the world, thanks to the wonders of the Internet and SputnikNews.com. We're also on FM in the United States of America, 105.5 are the magic numbers there, and on AM, coast to coast across the United States. But this is a radio show with pictures and hundreds of thousands of you, half a million of you, we're watching as well as listening. Who knows how many are merely listening? Half a million of you are watching. And here's how you can do that. You can watch on my Facebook page, George Galloway Official, or on my YouTube page, Ditto George Galloway Official. Now, if you're on my YouTube channel, click subscribe and wait in order to find out when we're live, change your notification priority in the top right to all. Only then will you be notified of new videos and live streams. But if you don't want to go on my Facebook and my YouTube, well, you can do the same thing on RT's Facebook pages and RT's YouTube pages. You can also watch on Twitter and even a new innovation on Instagram, as more and more people extraordinarily are. Now, where to begin? Let's begin in the United States. I've followed Donald Trump's tweets for a long time, and they are frequently unhinged, green ink, capital letter. But this week, when he called for people to liberate one city after another, one state after another, in his own country, of which he's the president, I thought that it was quite likely that I'd hear the flap of white coats as they came to take him away. I sense from watching his daily press conferences that he is rapidly losing touch with reality. You may say he's never been there, but I always thought there was method in his madness. And I think I was right about that. I don't resile from that. But when you are encouraging armed people onto the streets of your own country, I think that country is in very serious trouble indeed. And I think the United States is in very serious trouble indeed. It is now, within a week, it will have a larger percentage of people unemployed than it had at the height of the Great Depression in the 1930s. There is going to be a terrible economic hurricane in the United States in the run-up to the presidential election. In ordinary circumstances, that would mean that Donald Trump was for the high jump. That would mean he actually needn't even bother turning up in November for the presidential election. 
the economy ruined, unbelievable levels of sickness and death in the communities across the United States. And I mean communities. These are not just numbers. These are cities. These are blocks. Brooklyn, thousands of people afflicted. The Navajo people, the indigenous American people of the Navajo have actually become close to fearing that they will be wiped out by the coronavirus, those of them that weren't wiped out uh, when the white settlers came and stole their land and killed them in the first place. The Navajo are amongst the most afflicted, affected people on the entire earth. But Donald Trump throwing accusations around like Billio doesn't seem phased. Why? Well, one reason has to be that the mental decline, I used to call it cognitive decline, but I was just being polite. The mental degeneration, rapid mental decline of the Democratic Party's candidate, Joe Biden, must be of grave concern to anyone in his family, in his party, in his country. This man simply will not be able to stand a general election campaign against a ruffian uh, like Donald Trump. Donald Trump will not be polite. He will not even play with Joe Biden as the cat plays with the mouse as a prelude to killing it. Donald Trump will tear Joe Biden apart. And therefore, we have the likelihood, in my opinion, I haven't seen the bookmakers' odds lately, but the likelihood of a man who has lost almost all connection to reality with his finger on the nuclear button in the United States for another four and a half years. That is truly terrifying to me. And I think it ought to be to you. Let's talk about China. The United States government has decided that as a prophylactic to its own staggering levels of inaction, ineptitude, its staggering levels of incompetence has decided to go all out to blame China, even though their own chief medical officer continues to contradict the president when he, in an increasingly bizarre way, accuses China of having let this whole monster loose from a laboratory in Wuhan. Now, I said right at the beginning of this crisis that the coronavirus could have escaped uh, from a germ warfare lab. It could have escaped from the Chinese germ warfare lab in Wuhan. It could have escaped from Fort Detrick in the United States germ warfare lab. It could have been taken by the United States military based right next to the Fort Detrick germ warfare laboratory to Wuhan last December for the military games which took place there. It could be either of those things. But all of the science 
accumulated to date makes clear that actually the coronavirus is a naturally occurring virus, a mutation of a naturally occurred virus that has already visited us in times gone by, a mutation that makes it still more deadly than it has ever been. The French government today denounced Donald Trump's warmongering by saying there was no evidence whatsoever that this virus came from the germ warfare laboratory in Wuhan. If anyone's got any evidence to the contrary, let them produce it. But of course, they haven't, they won't, they can't, because so far, at least, it doesn't exist. It's simply this. Don't look at us in all our staggering negligence and incompetence. Look over there. Look at China. And of course, where Washington goes, the United Kingdom follows. This week, the British government announced a deep dive, that was a new one on me, a deep dive inquiry into Britain's relations with China, and it will never, they said, be business as usual again. Well, personally, I hope the Chinese heard that loud and clear. I hope they concluded that these people are not your friends. These people are not even reliable business partners. And according to the right-wing press this weekend, the former decision to continue with Huawei in the 5G rollout is going to be visited again and terminated. Look, I hold no candle uh, for China. I fly no flags for them. I hardly know a single Chinese person. I haven't been in China for decades. I'm not here speaking for China. But it seems to me obvious that one of the countries that has handled this outbreak of a naturally occurring virus best is China. China and New Zealand and South Korea and even Ireland have handled this virus almost infinitely better than the United States and Great Britain have handled it. And therefore, I conclude that the British and American governments, in order to try and divert attention from their own failures, their own criminal negligence, a point to which I shall return, are seeking to get up and running a scare campaign, a hate campaign against China. And I hope that China draws the lesson from this. As a matter of fact, be careful what you wish for, because if the Chinese withdrew their investments from the United States and Britain, if the Chinese sold the treasury bonds that they hold for the United States, if the Chinese dumped the dollar, well, we'd all go under pretty damn quick. So be careful what you wish for. That's all I'm saying. But today's Sunday Times and today's Sky News reportage of this crisis makes another thing abundantly clear, and that is that Boris Johnson has lost the confidence of Rupert Murdoch, and that is a dangerous place for any politician to be. 
There's all-out war now against Boris Johnson by his erstwhile closest allies. And it's not hard to see that the man that Rupert has anointed to take Boris Johnson's place is little Michael Gove, who is, well, how shall I put it, pretty close. His lips sucking on the posterior of Rupert Murdoch and for a very long time. How do I know this? I follow the public prints and the pronouncements of politicians and senior media people very closely. When I hear Robert Peston of ITV claim that he's gobsmacked to find how incompetent Boris Johnson has turned out to be, I say, well, He's the very man that you did so much to put into office. And if you're gobsmacked now, it's because you've been encouraged to be gobsmacked for an ulterior purpose, an ulterior motive. When I see the journalists who did so much to elect Boris Johnson's government, now turning on him with venom, he's missed Skipped is the word they use, not missed. He didn't miss five COBRA meetings. That's the uh, underground cabinet office briefing room A. Sounds more impressive if you say COBRA. The COBRA meetings where the British state's inner sanctum meets to handle emergencies were not missed by Boris Johnson, but skipped by Boris Johnson five times. It's abundantly clear from the reportage, particularly in the Sunday Times today, that the government knew that 500,000 people in Britain were likely to die from the coronavirus and did absolutely nothing about it. They did nothing about buying the personal protection equipment, our frontline services, and then our secondary services, like bus drivers and tube staffs and so on, would have the necessary PPE. They did nothing to secure the number of ventilators that we would need. They did nothing for months, it's now clear, to prepare a response to an emergency which they themselves had concluded during a drill for this in 2016 would quickly overwhelm the National Health Service. Operation Cygnus, 2016, October, wargamed an invasion by a flu-like virus coming from East Asia. And they concluded that they could not publish the results of the war game because it was, and I quote, truly terrifying. Some people said it was a threat to, quote, national security to release the results of that Operation Cygnus. So they knew from 2016 when, incidentally, Jeremy Hunt, who is now scuttling around the TV studios, obliquely blaming his successors for their failures, Jeremy Hunt was the health secretary at the time. But never mind Cygnus. We knew from January 
that this was coming our way and our government not only did nothing to save us, they deliberately did nothing because it's now as plain as a pikestaff. Their policy was herd immunity. Their purpose was for us all to get it and let the devil take the weak and the old, many of whom had voted for Boris Johnson just last December to put him in power in the first place. It's quite clear that the death toll in Britain is going to be the highest in all of Europe. It might even be the case that the British death toll is second highest in the whole world with the United States as the highest. Now, if that fills you with confidence in the two blonde bombshells in power in Washington and London, well, good luck to you in Ward 5 in Broadmoor. But for the rest of us, we have to conclude that our governments, our states, our societies are not fit for the purpose of defending our people against our real enemies, are not fit for the purpose of providing work and food and shelter for our own people. We are led by dangerous fools, dangerous knaves. That's really the question you have to work out. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, we've got a poll running. Will Boris Johnson survive the coronavirus? By which I don't mean he'll have a relapse amidst his 1,500 acres in checkers where he's recuperating. No, I mean, will the Conservative MPs be rid of Boris Johnson before this coronavirus is over? Answer A, yes, B, no. Fasten your seatbelts. It's the mother of all talk shows. Now, it's a close-run thing, but the United States is definitely in the deepest trouble over the coronavirus, not just because it has vastly the largest number of cases, by a very considerable distance, the worst rate of death from the coronavirus, but its political structures are not just creaking at the seams, they are actually falling apart. Governors are attacking the president. The president is attacking the governors. The president is tweeting 
the armed people should advance upon the one I saw was Virginia, but there have apparently been many others. Liberate Virginia, he said, encouraging uh, the gun owners of America to head into the streets. In Michigan, I saw thousands of people demanding that the lockdown be lifted. The, lo the lockdown on the placards being equal to communism. That's how deep the sickness runs in the United States of America. So we've got Donald Trump raving mad at the podium in the White House and Joe Biden simpering in what seems to be uh, semi-imbecilic terms, I don't know, in some Darby and Joan home somewhere. I have no idea where he is. What I do know is he's not all there wherever he is. Rania Kalik is, though, the wonderful journalist, presenter, and writer, and she joins me by Skype right now from the United States. Rania, welcome back Hi, to George. the show. Um, <laughs> now, I, I really don't mean to be kind. My great-grandmother was an American. I've got American blood in my veins, but your country is in one hell of a mess. When the president is encouraging armed insurrection on the streets of his own country and raving almost unprecedentedly at the dispatch box or at the podium in the press room every single day. I fear for the future of your country. Do you? Yeah, George, it's surreal what's taking place right now. Um, in some ways, it's not surprising because everything in America is so politicized and we have elections in November. So everything the president says and does right now is about trying to win that election. The election has already started. Um, and in the process, what he's doing is insane. You have a bunch of dark money Republican groups combined with a mix of right-wing militias that are holding these anti-lockdown protests, like you mentioned, comparing lockdowns to communism. And it's being encouraged by the president, and it's extremely dangerous. You have hundreds of people crowding together in the midst of a pandemic where you have a highly infectious respiratory virus that's killing people that spreads from person to person. Um, and as you can see, we have the highest infection rate in the US. We have our hospitals right now are completely overwhelmed. We don't have enough protective equipment for our healthcare workers. Um, it's a complete disaster. And these people are going to infect each other. They're gonna go and infect other people and they're gonna help overwhelm our hospitals even more. And that is at the encouragement of the country's president who is now redirecting all of the uh, outrage against himself for, for being so woefully unprepared for this pandemic by, you know, uh, you know, uh, invoking this foreign boogeyman of China, and both parties are playing into it now. It's a complete disaster, while well, at the same time, you know, unemployment in America is soaring. We have 22 million people that we know of unemployed in the last four weeks, and the government is doing very, very little to help actual Americans. Um, and so at this point, I, I don't want to be alarmist, but I do fear in certain parts of the country, you're going to see a real societal breakdown. Um, and these protests with people waving their guns uh, and just saying the most idiotic things and inf likely infecting each other is kind of just the beginning of it. Well, I think you expressed all that perfectly. Uh, and uh, we're going to seal that in a, in a tube and send it out to the world. Uh, but uh, let's uh, break down the different parts of this. The governor of Florida 
uh, reopened Florida's beaches and, of course, predictably thousands of people headed for the beaches, inches, feet at most, apart. Uh, the, uh, the protest in Michigan, these are armed people. I mean, this is not the Congo we're talking about here. This is the United States of America, supposedly uh, the leader of the free world. This is the richest and most powerful country on the earth, containing the power to annihilate the earth in its nuclear arsenal. And we've got a man who's standing there daily with millions of people watching him, encouraging the most incredibly irresponsible behavior. How are the Democrats responding to this? It's, it's really shocking because, you know, right now is an opportunity politically for Democrats to come in and say, you know what? Here's what we need to deal with this crisis. And instead, they're kind of just useless. I mean, you do have real pain. These as silly and idiotic and dangerous as these anti-lockdown protests are, they are tapping into a rage that's only going to grow in America. Because like I mentioned, 22 million people unemployed. Every other wealthy country in the world is doing something to prevent complete and total economic collapse and the failure of all their businesses by taking over the payroll responsibilities so people aren't unemployed and can still afford groceries by giving people checks every month. What is the U.S. doing? It's giving people $1,200 checks over the course of four months. Many people haven't even been able to access that money. Uh, it hasn't frozen rents or mortgages. It's pitiful. The richest country in the world isn't taking care of its own people. So you're going to see a lot of rage and legitimate grievances uh, by people who do need to put a roof over their head and feed their families. And so that's why I say it's an opportunity for Democrats to come in and say, you know what? This is a time when we need universal health care. This is a time when we should be taking over the payroll like we see in a lot of European countries of, of small businesses and keeping them afloat and keeping money in people's pockets. And instead, what we see from Democrats is really pathetic ideas like let's like they want to subsidize private health insurance for people <laughs> right now. That's a Democratic idea. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. And it's not going to you know, speak to the grievances that people have. And what that means is that they're ceding the ground to the right to come in with all these insane conspiracy theories. Um, and say, you know what, go protest the lockdown. That's the issue. The issue is the lockdown, not the fact that your government and the elites in this country aren't taking care of you and are giving corporate bailouts to all these massive companies that don't even pay taxes. I mean, it's just utterly shocking. And, and um, you know, what you do have, too, is, you know, a couple like last week, Nancy Pelosi, the, you know, the leader of the Democrats in Congress uh, did it, you know, did like a little funny interview uh, where she was sitting in front of her refrigerator, her two massive refrigerators. Gigantic, one of the biggest freezers I've ever seen. Luxury refrigerators bragging about all the chocolate she has in her freezer. I mean, this is a hundred millionaire leader of the Democratic Party, and this is all she has to offer. Um, it was a Marie, it was a Marie Antoinette moment, wasn't it? really was. And I think at the end of the day, this is going to be really devastating politically for the Democrats. And I think you're going to see Republicans win out as a result. Like, I think we're looking at a situation where we're likely going to have a second term of Donald Trump. And that's a disaster. But you really, I mean, who can you blame? 
who, who can the Democrats blame? They had an opportunity and they're squandering it by giving us Joe Biden, a corporate hack who can't even form a coherent sentence, who's completely uninspiring as the option against Donald Trump. I mean, we're just in this country, we're headed for disaster. It's, it's a scary moment. Yeah, uh, of course, your societal uh, breakdown and the mass poverty and unemployment of your own people, uh, disastrous, tragic, uh, though that is, is a matter for you. Uh, what is more worrying for the world is that whereas before uh, the Democrats hated Russia and the Republicans hated China, uh, now both of them hate China. And war with China is not actually an impossibility now. You may say, I'm being alarmist, but it seems to me the logical conclusion, ineluctable, I see Bannon uh, shouting for it on the TV today, is a drive to isolate and sanction and, uh, and uh, quarantine China in a way that may very well lead to actual war, which means world war. Are people really serious about this, Rania? I don't know if they're so much serious about world war, but they're certainly serious about coming up with justifications for more bloated military budgets. Um, and of course, whenever you escalate, we were already on a path to, to a new Cold War with China. That was happening before coronavirus. Coronavirus, of course, has accelerated that because what you have is this rising super, you know, this rising new power, China, that really does, um, you know, pose a threat to U.S you know, uh, dominance over the whole globe as it's had for the last 20 or so years. Uh, and so that, you know, uh, scares American elites. So we've already been on that path. Uh, but what, right now, I think what you're seeing is a, an attempt by Donald Trump to redirect all of the outrage at him for really, you know, botching the response to coronavirus at China. And it's working. If you look at the polls of, of most Americans in both parties, they blame China. They're angry at China. They're like basically primed to support any sort of war, whether it's a proxy war or a real war against China. And then what you have in the Democrats is rather than saying, OK, let's be the adults in the room. This is insane. You have them trying to out hawk Trump on China, as we've seen in the last couple of days with, jo with Joe Biden unveiling his campaign strategy of saying, oh, you know, Donald Trump is too pro-China and he let the Chinese uh, you know, have too much influence. And so it's going to it's, it's very dangerous, of course, like you mentioned, for the world and internally in the U.S. It's at the end of the day, this is like a completely racist narrative that's actually impacting Asian-Americans across the U.S. We've seen hate crimes against Asian-Americans go up. And for any of us to remember the feelings and, you know, after 9-11 and in the lead up to the Iraq war and in the years after the whole war on terror, you feel something really familiar here. Um, it's like it's like the new you know the war on terror has shifted to war on China. Uh, all the talking points have shifted to China as a part of the axis of evil, uh, and you know the big evil Chinese you know yellow peril menace um, is like the new big bad Muslims. Uh, and so if you see that what you know the kind of toll that's had on the world the last twenty years, you can imagine how much more devastating it will be to have this accelerated escalation between the U.S. and China going forward. Yeah, because China will uh, fight back, of course. I, I made the point earlier, right. be careful what you wish for. If China decided to drop the dollar, move to the euro, uh, or abandon reserve currencies altogether, if China decided to dump the U.S. debt that it owns, 
the treasury bonds and so on, uh, your 22 million unemployed uh, would pale into insignificance to the economic crash that you would have then. And if they did so, uh, the danger of a hot war would, of course, exponentially increase. Right. I mean, yeah, that's a good point to make, because in the in the past, I mean, with with uh, the targets of American imperialism being countries like Afghanistan or Iraq, these were very weak countries that didn't have the resources or capabilities to fight back. China is not a weak country. It's a growing power that has a very powerful economy and that's able to really handle its own. Um, so the U.S. isn't picking a fight with someone who can't fight back. They're picking a fight with with a powerful country, which make is, makes it all the more dangerous. Um, but I think also what you're going to see with all this is everything you just mentioned. The U.S., in a way, the U.S. Is, is so dependent on China economically that there's only so much the U.S. can do without severe consequences. So I think, you know, what you're also going to see is because of the coronavirus and this accelerating Cold War, and we've already seen it partly with the trade war, is you're going to see it really not only impact the American economy, but impact the standard of living in America. I think that this has really accelerated what was already taking place, which was the decline of U.S. empire. Uh, and you're seeing that play out internally as well. Um, so uh, it's like in this case, you know, a war with China isn't going to be America coming out on top and just crushing its enemy. Um, but how that plays out in the rest of the world, too, it could lead to a lot of proxy wars as well. It's it's we don't know. Um, but it's definitely a dangerous escalation. Very, the rhetoric very. in America is extremely dangerous and no one's speaking out against it. And uh, just to, uh, uh, if you want to measure the decline, uh, when I first became politically conscious, uh, it was in a general election between President Jack Kennedy and also President Richard Nixon. And now the dichotomy is Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Just think about that. All of us need to just think about that. Rania Kalik, as always, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Fantastic uh, picture that uh, Rania uh, painted there. Uh, now, Dakota says, time for the headmaster at the Moats University, the only bloke who's got the most formidable knowledge that I know. Parliament needs to have him back now more than ever. Thank you, Dakota. Samson says, China is to blame for allowing those wet markets to carry on, knowing the risks after SARS and H1N1. If they can lock down a city, they can lock down those markets. You know, they're farmers markets, Samson, right? You know, the kind of things that Guardian readers just love when they visit uh, other countries or even the countryside in our own. Peter says, good evening, George. Thanks for keeping the show going through this bizarre time. Is, the, is a highlight of the week. And the Sunday airtime slot, in my opinion, gives the show more gravitas than the Friday slot. Thank you. Carlos says, thinking of everyone affected by this terrible virus, sending out caring thoughts to you all. And on Facebook, Dave says, our hospitals here in the UK are so empty that the NHS staff are always outside dancing. That'll be Dave, was it, that uh, hung up and ran away last week uh, on the show. Julie says, what do you think about building sites in London being open for business tomorrow? with Unite the Union calling for staggered start and finishing times. 
I've often wondered how completing a new high-rise building in the center of London was in any way essential work and will, as a Canadian, I'm scared to death of another four years of Trump. David, I'm ready to listen to someone with honesty, compassion, and common sense. Good evening, GG. Thanks, Dave. Barb says, we're surrounded by crazies in the United States. Kevin says, we don't need a vaccine. The virus has to make its way through. 80% will have little or no sickness. Nah, hard luck if you're in the 20%, Kev. And the emails are coming in too. If you were put in charge of Captain Tom Moore's 26 million pounds raised for the NHS, how would you spend it? A good question. I'll ruminate on that and come back to it. And here's another one. I wanted to get your take on the fact Sir Keir has been pushing Her Majesty's government for an exit strategy. Would you agree or disagree? It's actually saving people's lives right now in hospital wards, on buses, on tubes that I'm more worried about than an exit strategy. But then I'm one of these weirdos that thinks human life is more important than pound, shillings and pence. Now, Italy, of course, has suffered extraordinary agony in the time of the corona. Uh, The uh, death toll in Italy remains the highest in Europe, though it is rapidly being overtaken by our own here in Britain. It's often said that Italy is two weeks ahead of Britain on the curve. One man uh, who's been writing about the situation there is Nicholas Farrell. He's a journalist and an author based in Italy, and he's been good enough to join us by Skype this evening. Nicholas, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, First of all, give us an update, will you, on what the current situation in the country is? Well, um, what is it? Uh, 120,000 people infected and, uh, what is it, 16,000 dead, I think. And uh, so it's, uh, we're a bit ahead of the British. Well, only a very bit, uh, Nicholas. Not uh, in fact, and, um, uh, in fact, mm. yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, uh, given the Italians are too civilized to put their old mother in a care home, uh, most uh, old people uh, in Italy are living with their families. We, on the other hand, have massive numbers of people in care homes. And we've now discovered, belatedly, that they are riven uh, with the coronavirus. So, actually, if you add the British hospital dead to the care home dead and the at-home dead, we're already ahead of Italy, surely. How do we, how do we know how many people have got the damn virus? That's the trouble. Well, I, reckon, it, it, I, had, I reckon I've had it, for example. Really? <clears throat> yeah, I reckon I had it in January. Well, uh, the answer to your question about Germany is surely this, uh, that the German health service is better than the Italian and better than the British. Uh, that the, well, Ger- the Germans... I think what they, mm, no, go on. But I think that... I, I'm not so sure about that, really. I think what they did... Yeah, maybe you're right, but I think what they did, which nobody else really did, was they did lots and lots of testing right from the start so they could then find out who had the virus 
and we're able to isolate them. Yeah, but that's what Whereas, the now, that's what the, been really slack on that, testing. That, that's what the WHO told everyone to do in January: testing, well, testing, did. testing. Yeah. The uh, the leader of the WHO said, uh, but the rest of us didn't do it. The Germans did it. New Zealand has done it with such spectacular effect that I think that no one has died in New Zealand. They locked down immediately. They tested a staggering uh, number, something like 1,500 people per million. Uh, they did a staggering number of tests. Then they isolated the people that were positive uh, and uh, tracked their contacts uh, and thus uh, by some miracle, they've been spared. Why didn't our governments do that? Well, yeah, well, that's a very good question. But I mean, uh, but, 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 I mean, partly because they just do not have the ability to do that. They do not have the, uh, the tests for a start, but not just that. They don't have the laboratories available to process all those, that huge number of tests. That's the problem. It's a logistical thing, too, in terms of um, the lack of laboratories, not not just lack of tests, but lack of laboratories. I mean, you know, I, and only a country like um, only a country like uh, Germany uh, was was up, had the ability to do that because it's. I think because it's well, health system regional. Germany or South Korea or New Zealand. Uh, it's come to something, Nicholas, hasn't it? When, when Britain and Italy, uh, respectively the sixth and seventh richest economy in the world, uh, is unable to do such a basic thing when a, a much predicted, often heralded pandemic virus heads their way. Yeah, I know. Well, okay, but I mean, I mean, I don't think anyone's come out of this. <laughs> Smelling of roses, have they? No, no single country. Really. Well, you would argue the Far East countries have. No, I mean, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm, way, I'm, I'm, they I'm have, arguing. But... I'm arguing unarguably that New Zealand has the best record in the entire well, world. Okay. Well, you know about New Zealand. I don't. But I mean, I'll take your word for it. Mm. I mean, the, the yeah, I, yeah. But the thing is, I mean, uh, we, 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 everybody's talked about that this is go was going to happen sooner or later. No such a pandemic as this and um and yet of course nobody really prepared for it except i mean okay new zealand is a smaller country isn't it so i mean the other thing is that um well i don't know quite i mean sorry i, I i'm not aware of the new zealand example you've obviously heard it and i haven't but i mean i i know about the far east but there you see you're talking about uh, a different approach to uh, the freedom of the individual, for example. Ah, um, ah well, let, let, let's go. Yeah, let's go to that. Uh, the the implication of what you're saying is that places like Singapore, South Korea, uh, China uh, did what they did because of the political systems that they have. Though I think South Korea's political systems pretty similar to Italy's and Britain's, is it not? Well, <laughs> depends how you define these things. I mean, a lot of people are having a go at uh, Orbán's Hungary, you know, because he's the virus has given him an excuse to uh, become a dictator. But the fact is that in Italy, uh, the government is ruling by decree, not by.
parliamentary vote and, and nobody raises an eyebrow. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of uh, bullshit talked about who is a dictator and who isn't. Mm. But I suspect that in the Far East, there is a different attitude to the individual and liberty compared to the West, and especially the British Anglo-Saxon West, the British and American Anglo-Saxon West. And, um, for example, I think they think the rights of the community are stronger than the rights of the individual. And so, uh, therefore, it's far easier to uh, introduce uh, such lockdowns, you know, uh, really stringently and, and mass test people quickly and all that stuff. Uh, and then if they're, you know, and lock them away if they're positive. Well, um, I think that's an, an important uh, philosophical question that you have raised. I don't think the, I mean, the I, I don't think the evidence fits your dichotomy. I think your dichotomy is a somewhat false one. And I gave two of the reasons why New Zealand and South Korea are not remotely uh, uh, communist or socialist or collectivist societies. Uh, but uh, let me ask you, Nicholas, how has it impacted the political scene in Italy? You make the point the government is ruling by decree. No one's raising an eyebrow. Uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's happened in Italy before, of course. Uh, but uh, the, the point is, are they doing a good job or not? Is the government being well, strengthened by the job that it's doing or weakened? Well, hmm. It's very difficult to say, but the uh, the, um, the the polls, such as they are, reveal that the uh, that the, the the premier, who of course is not even an MP or anything, an elected MP, is brought in as a compromise candidate in 2018. Um, <clears throat> he he uh, is extremely popular, uh, but on the other hand, mo um, I mean, how are they handling it? Well. Not very well, I would say. I mean, you, you know, you talk about the, the intervention of the state to help the citizen being vital in these situations. I mean, I certainly think that is the case, should be the case. Uh, you know, that it's only the state that can save the country. And, um, you know, in England, uh, we, massive amounts of money are being uh, sloshed about, offered here, there and everywhere. In Italy, it's all just peanuts, basically. I mean, I'd love to. I'm a father of six. I've got six children, age 16 down to four, all, of course, cooped up at home right now. My wife is Italian. She doesn't work. I work as a freelance. So luckily, I suppose I work from home. And luckily, we live in the countryside. So we've got fields that we, we can walk around and get out and about and see see the the fallow deer and the marsh harriers and all the rest of it, you know, the beautiful wildlife. But we're on the coast, on the Adriatic coast. But we're not getting any money. Hello, are you there? I'm there. I'm fascinated by uh, your description of the Adriatic coast. Finally, just uh, move your hand away from the camera for a minute, Nicholas, because uh, we, we've no. lost you. Um, my my, last, you question, my last question would be this. The, <clears throat> the British media... Mm. is being slaughtered uh, by the likes of Andrew Neil, uh, by the likes of uh, Piers Morgan, for the, frankly, supine uh, way that it is approaching 
government spokesmen and even health and science spokesmen at these daily press conferences? Is the Italian media any more uh, toothful uh, than the English media? Toothful? Yes, I just made that <laughs> word up. It's a good word. It's a great word. Well done. <laughs> um, toothful in the sense aggressive, um, terrier-like. The Italian press is bloody useless, basically. Uh, and, uh, oh, God, it's a complicated subject. But, I mean, uh, basically, um, they don't get to the point ever, like British British, the British press gets to the point straight away, no, you know, the no, sun No, no I, I, I assure you that that is not true, uh, with the exception, oh. honourable exceptions of Andrew Neil and Piers Morgan and nobody else. Nicholas, we, we lost no. your uh, feed. It's been wonderful talking to you. Uh, I hope uh, that your family of six, I shall shortly have a family of six myself, uh, survive uh, and, uh, and thrive on the Adriatic coast. How, uh, how uh, many children uh, do you... How I have, many I have you? five and one on the way. Oh, well done. Yes. Well done. Yes, we're, uh, we're both <laughs> men, men after each other's hearts. Thank you very much indeed, <laughs> Nicholas Farrell. Now, uh, Governor Cuomo uh, in New York, I heard on the news, has now made it possible for people to be married online. I suppose the, uh, the <laughs> opposite of that might also be possible. You might be able to get divorced online. Maybe you already can, I don't know. But one thing is uh, for sure, it is testing challenging for couples uh, to be permanently locked down together. Uh, if they don't have children, they can have a whale of a time, I'm sure, and the maternity wards will be buzzing nine months from all of this. Uh, but if, uh, like me, you've got a lot of children in the house, then the mental health, well-being of children and parents is obviously a very challenging thing to maintain, especially those living in small, cooped-up accommodation, especially those who have no garden, especially those who are miles from the nearest open green space and parkland. So there'll be a boom, I'm sure, in family uh, and couple psychotherapy. And we've been lucky enough to get Tanya Bosick, one of the best family and couple psychotherapists. She's at the private therapy clinic and she's here to talk about how to cope with this lockdown. And I'm guessing that quite a few of the viewers and listeners, even if they're pretending otherwise, will now be craning that little bit further forward towards the screen or the radio to hear what Tanya has to say. Tanya, welcome to the mother of all talk shows. It is a testing time this, isn't it? Yes, it is, George. Thanks, first of all, for lovely words. It is testing time, I'm afraid, and I assume that throughout the coronavirus and afterwards, we will have academic studies to show as well what we did in corona times. Yes, I mean, uh, as I say, there's a... Uh, if you're on your own, it's going to be very lonely. Uh, if it's you and your partner, you're, uh, you're quite likely uh, to be having a whale of a time. Uh, but if it's you and your partner with whom you're no longer having a whale of a time, and, uh, and uh, even more, if you've got a lot of kids in the house, uh, in, and in the circumstances I described, 
it can be hell. Well done, George. Well, don't, don't become family therapist. You're very experienced in this, I presume. Let me tell you, I'm similar to you. I'm 48 as well. Now, this regardless of me being family therapist, I will quickly just go through a few points. What we can do, regardless of whether we're a single, whether we're a married couple or couple with children. First of all, just few pointers, George. Uh, one thing is being kind to yourself. So go to bed on time, sleep ideally, seven to eight hours a day. Just try to go to bed before midnight, eat healthily. So try to have three to five healthy meals a day. Supplement your you know, daily food intake with some vitamins or minerals, hydrate your body. So this is George, what we can do on an individual level. Uh, even regardless of corona, uh, we would still implement these measures. Now, when it comes to exercising, some people, as you announced, are lucky to have park nearby, or some people are lucky to have treadmills or bikes at home. For those who don't have them, ideally they can join some online group where they can do yoga, exercise, this, that, and the other. So these are, George, CBT, or cognitive behavioral measures that should be in place to help us get through. Now, let me just pinpoint quickly that there are four basic emotions, which are fear, anger, happiness, and sadness. So what do we do in corona times? The prime emotion is fear. If I live on my own, most probably that I will fear many things that in normal circumstances I don't fear. So for single people, it's different than to partners. Partnership, as you said nicely, with or without children can be a tricky one. Why? We have facts and figures that domestic violence and abuse, the figures for these um, things have increased last couple of weeks. Why? When you're in confined space where you can't go to work, um, you can't really exhibit things that, you, that you're used to doing, there is bigger chance that you might have a twofold, it does have twofold effect on us. Firstly, we understand, oh, this partner of mine or this husband is brilliant. Maybe I didn't notice that before because I was busy going to work doing different things. So that's the positive thing. And I'm noticing that you, same as PTC Clinic, as our CEO, Dr. Becky Spellman, we are positive and we say, yeah, in Corona times, there might be positive things. However, George, on the negative side, many couples that did have relationship that wasn't the best, and they were triangulating or avoiding issues by putting them under the carpet, like going to work, doing different activities. These things are now going to escalate. And that is the reason why we have more cases of family abuse, family violence. And this is very difficult. Now, if we have children, I have them too. And I did like your introduction, like in my personal circumstance, I'm happy. Because, you know, when you have teenagers or all the children, they don't tend to sit at home. So again, on the positive side, family dynamics might be nice because we get to see more of our children, we get to socialize more. However, with families with small children, you know, toddlers or babies, it can be more stress. So if you ask me what are the numbers, we still don't know. But for some families, it's going to be better 
for some families it's going to be worse. So it's very, very important to follow on, or, or, on these family dynamics. So what do you think is going to be busier uh, a year from now, the maternity wards or the divorce courts? <laughs> Well, <laughs> I'm very optimistic personally. I would love to see more maternity wards. However, there are some figures, like in China, for example, that the number of divorce cases are increasing. So if you ask me personally, I would like the positive end of the spectrum, like my colleagues from PTC, we are positive. We think along these lines, but I'm afraid, George, the future is not that beautiful because many people will lose jobs. Many people have already lost jobs. So the daily functioning is now being jeopardized. So if you ask me, we will see the figures released, obviously, after COVID is finished. But um, I'm sad to say that there might be more um, divorce cases. Yeah, and, and suffering. I mean, we were talking about the US earlier. Uh, uh, 22 million people are now unemployed in the United States. Getting on for, within a week it will be, greater than the percentage of unemployment in the Great Depression in the 1930s. It's quite likely, uh, because when America uh, sneezes, uh, the rest of the world catches cold, as they say, uh, that the mass unemployment will return, uh, not just in this country, uh, but to other European countries and other countries across the world. And it's hard to be happy and well-adjusted when you've lost your job and you're poor, isn't it, Tanya? It's very difficult, George. I am proud to be British, but I originally come from Serbia. So I've been through it 20 years ago when we had the war. So you're talking to someone who's been for five months in a nuclear shelter. So I may be the right person to speak to you because it is going to be difficult. Now, normally us British didn't have major depressions and we somehow coped. But I very much fear that even in this climate of today, um, it's going to be difficult because many jobs are being tested, George. And we are now um, getting to see whether people can work online. Uh, many will lose jobs. What an impact on mental health will that have? What I like about corona and basic emotional fear is that it knows no boundaries. So whether you're black or white, religious, non-religious, Labour Party, whatever party, never mind. So emotions-wise, we are the same, but economy-wise, we are not. What we expect, psychotherapists, that we will be dealing with, George, is the increased amount of people having these existential issues of being able to pay for mortgage, pay for food and therefore we expect the bigger amount of people suffering anxiety features, depressive features, because fear on its own is just a basic emotion that uh, is with us and we should embrace it. However, it goes, can go up, so we get more anxious, we get panic attacks. If uh, fear goes to that extent that it's overwhelming, we start getting phobias. So these things you are discussing are just a real life issues. Many people will lose jobs and therefore that might have an impact on their mental health overall. How do you deal with, uh, with your children's questions? It depends what age they are, of course, but uh, for example, I have a five-year-old son. My three-year-old daughter is not yet asking these questions, but my five-year-old asks me every day, 
because of course I have to tell them when we're out running, playing football for exercise, stay away from people and I have to shout loudly if he's uh, about to break those rules and so on. Uh, my five-year-old is actually afraid of dying. He hasn't said it to me, but he has to his mother that he doesn't want to die, he wants to live, and so on. How, how do you deal with, the, what should you say to your children about the fear issue? Well, well done, George. Good question. Now, let me tell you, family therapy and psychotherapy in general says communication should be direct and open. It's up to children to raise the issues. So if your child doesn't raise the issue, just gloss over it, polish over it and don't bring it up. If, however, some children, so I can now assess that your child that asked that question means that your family is very open and very direct. So if your child did ask this question we can only using appropriate uh, vocabulary for their age range for example yours is five mine are 14 and 19 so obviously I will adjust my vocabulary but fear of death is a regular fear that does you know live with us however George we should um, uh, really explain what we as mom and dad think about it and let them choose what their behavior is going to be. Why am I saying this? I'm 48. My mom and dad never feared death because they were medical workers. So people in my family, for example, I don't really fear illness or death because, you know, all my life I'm living with it. So my attitude towards it is very open. Acknowledge it, but don't stress over it. Some families might fear that they will get ill, that they might die. So the best you can do, like any other topic, feel free to be open to express your personal belief, but let them choose what they're going to embrace. If, if it makes sense, if you, it if does, you understand. It does, Tanya. And uh, finally, um, we've, uh, we've taken the approach of the much ridiculed government of Malaysia uh, in that uh, we are not uh, going around in our pajamas and, and dressing gowns all day. Uh, we, are, uh, we are, as far as possible, uh, being as smart uh, uh, as possible. I'm even wearing my makeup and my lip. No, you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. we, are, we are trying to look our best and act as if this was a normal day uh, when, of course, it really is very far from a normal day. Is that your uh, advice also? Uh, I must say yes, because, George, that is CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. That means if you're in difficulty, you're not going to deepen that fear or whatever you're feeling. You're going to refocus, reframe. You're going to think about something positive. So that is a CBT. When clients come, George, it's here and now. Okay. So I'm stressed about my marriage. I think it's going down the drains. What am I going to do? I'm going to refocus. Think about something positive. So um, I must say that it might... Um, sound ridiculous, but uh, as psychologists, psychotherapists, we try to find positive even in negative times, if it makes sense. So, no, I can't go to work. I'm working from home. But yes, I'm going to put makeup. Well, I'm now talking to you. I have my hair done and makeup. So, you know, I'm pretending like I could work. 
Is it helpful for me? Yes, it is. So my advice to people is try to see, regardless of coronavirus, any issue you look at, try to be more positive. Try always to look at your glass as being half full rather than half empty. Uh, if it makes sense. But then don't go as well to cuckoo land because, yes, there are facts and figures where we see that currently 16,000 people have died, that we do have 120,000 people being uh, confirmed uh, positive for corona. So, you know, just finding the right balance, George, in yeah. all of this, that's, you know. As always, uh, Tanya Bozic of the... Uh, let me get your clinic correct. Private, Private therapy. therapy clinic, PTC. Thank you yes. very much indeed for joining us. Uh, now, the poll is closed. Will Boris Johnson survive? A, yes, 60%. B, no, 40%. 2,282 people voted. The second poll on which you can now vote. Who do you think will win the 2020 US elections? A, Donald Trump. B, Joe Biden. You can vote now on my Twitter feed. My old friend Filza from Ireland says, I'm sure you're aware of how wonderfully the Irish government dealt with coronavirus when it hit the world. From your platform, I would take the opportunity to praise the Republic of Ireland. And Michael says, New Zealand is coming out of its summer. Cases will increase as the Northern Hemisphere decrease. It's pneumonic virus that likes the colder weather, as many viruses do. That's why we have epidemics of influenza in the winter. And Stuart, in response to the poll, sadly, George, I had to vote yes to this poll. Could you perhaps run a second poll asking, should Boris Johnson survive as PM after coronavirus so that I can vote no? And Joseph, by email, uh, says, I've been speaking to my niece tonight, who is a frontline nurse for the NHS. It's a disaster. No PPE, no support, no leadership from either highly paid managers or the government. And James says, COVID-19 is obviously all the news at this time. It would be good if everyone wants to stop blaming one another, Trump especially, and just work on getting testing kits, PPE, etc. But then you see, James, it's much easier to try and divert blame and attention away from your own utter, miserable, negligent and criminal uh, failure. And on Facebook, Kathy says, many of us have lived in virtual lockdown due to disability. Living in our world now, we were the hidden taboo families. We exist now. Powerful indeed. Uh, that last point. Now, Captain Tom Moore, who has walked with his Zimmer up and down his garden so many times, he's raised 26 million pounds for what was originally called NHS charities, is of course a hero who should be knighted forthwith. And I was, I think, the first person in public life to say so. Uh, Piers Morgan, uh, who's got a much bigger ship than me, uh, took that up and he's done a wonderful job in promoting the need to honour this great British hero. Captain Tom Moore is 99 years old. 
May God preserve him, and I hope we get a full Royal Air Force fly past his house on his 100th birthday. He's raised more money as a single individual than I think any person in history. The question is, how did we get to the situation where our National Health Service required 99-year-old pensioners to walk up and down their garden and the great British public to empty their pockets and their pocketbooks to send to a charitable cause when the National Health Service is supposed to be a vital national sinew of our country. Now, if it's for NHS charities, wonderful. There's lots of ways that money can be positively used, constructively used. But I'd hate to think that Captain Tom's efforts had merely gone in to filling a bucket with a hole in the bottom of it of National Health Service funding. We need to mend the bucket. We need to properly fund the NHS. We need to properly tax the richest people and corporations active and profiting here on our island. We need to look again at whether we should be spending hundreds of billions of pounds on Trident missiles and other weapons of war rather than on the basics of keeping our people safe, healthy and alive. I salute you, Captain Tom Moore. I may have been the first in the land to do so. I think you're a national hero. But I think the people who so reduced us to requiring you to make such efforts to have a proper health service are not heroes, but villains. Well, we've got Moats Medic, Dr. Ranjit Brar, a physician, a surgeon, and an all-round sage, not just on medical matters, but on Chinese matters. His wife is Chinese. He has a close association with China. And so I'm going to ask him. Uh, first up, Dr. Ranjit, thank you for joining us. Uh, what do you make of what seems to be a fairly dramatic turn uh, to blaming China? Uh, is this pure diversion uh, or is there something in the charge uh, that China is lying, uh, that it lied in the beginning and that it's still lying now? Thanks, George. Pleasure to be uh, back with you on the show. Um, I think this, um, uh, this turn is, is, if you like, turn back to the original narrative. We know when this uh, virus first emerged uh, that Trump, that, that Johnson, that the UK government and the US government in particular were very keen uh, to throw accusations around China initially labeling it a repressive society, a communist society, obviously, a society that didn't share information. In fact, you know, their own medical schools, uh, you know, look at Harvard Medical School, look at the key, key medical schools in the United States. If you look at what their virology departments were saying, they were saying at that time that it was remarkable that within two weeks of encountering an unknown disease, the coronavirus infection, that they had recognized it as a new illness, a discrete illness, that they had taken samples, genetically analyzed it, and found its genetic code and shared that with the world. That's a remarkable 
achievement. And that was the assessment of US medical uh, virologists and, and academics, which totally uh, undermines the current narrative and the narrative that they had at that time. Now, initially, there was a blow-by-blow -blow account in the media of the rising numbers of cases in China. But as China brought it under control, then instead of like gloating over the extent of the disease in China, it became suspicion that we weren't seeing the real picture. It's quite clear that we are seeing the real picture, that China has got this disease under control because of the measures that it took. And the World Health Organization has been very clear. They sent a delegation along with Europeans and Americans uh, uh, to verify and assess the response to this coronavirus as early as late January and early February. And that report has been released together with all the recommendations, the recommendations, George, that we're still not taking. And to me, as this is unfolding, and we know in the UK now there have been 120,000 confirmed test positive cases, there'll be many more cases, 16,000 deaths. During the la last week, you know, many days, there were, there were close to 1,000 deaths in hospitals alone, and probably as many as 2,000 if you add on to that, deaths in care homes and deaths in the community. And we won't know those true figures for some time. So as this has unfolded, as day by day we've had promises of more ventilators, promises of more capacity, promises of sufficient PPE, and it hasn't happened, you know, there's rising anger. And it's quite clear that China has scored some very positive uh, points in terms of its PR, because not only has it contained the virus's own country, issued very timely warnings, you know, been very transparent about the number of cases and, and collaborated with John Hopkins University, for example, to, 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 to actually put forward that live case tracker so we all know how many cases there are all over the world. They've actually been at the forefront of delivering aid together with Cuba and other countries, aid of medical staff, aid of their expertise. They've published you know, a, a summary of, the, of just how to cope with this virus and disseminated it. And it really, it's our responsibility if we've not followed that, or more precisely, it's our government's responsibility. And I think there's a very wide campaign um, which is coordinated across the Western world, certainly between America and Britain, you know, and Labour and Tory have both come out. Lord Adonis published uh, a disgusting article when he said this was, um, he, he said the coronavirus was China's Chernobyl and China should be held accountable. Uh, as if this natural phenomenon, there's no question it's a natural phenomenon, scientists are very clear on that. It's been published in Nature magazine. American scientists are very clear that, that this wasn't a bioengineered weapon. This is a naturally occurring mutation of a virus, which is any widespread circulation. What's disturbing about this virus is not its enormous death rate, though the, you know, the case fatality rate is high, much higher than the normal flu. It's this level of infectiousness combined with a relatively high mortality rate, which means if it really does spread, as we're seeing, you know, the fatalities can be frightening. Now, are we headed into uh, the herd immunity uh, 2.0? Uh, because the government started with the idea, it's quite clear now, uh, not just from what they said in public, but what we now know they were saying in private, uh, that their plan was that uh, to, to let this run hot, uh, to let it burn through the population on the principle that probably, by and large, only old people and already sick people uh, would, uh, would uh, perish from it, and that the economy was the main thing. Uh, the pound shillings and pence trumped uh, the idea of uh, your grandmother, your mother, your father, 
uh, dying prematurely. Are we back there again? It, it certainly seems that way, George. And it seems that way, I think, because uh, despite protestations to the contrary, as you say, we found out that really was the initial plan, both from you know Boris's own good morning interview, uh, later protested that he hadn't had been interpreted correctly, but he quite clearly said that there were discussions within cabinet and within COBRA to the extent that you should let this run through the community. And subsequently, we found out about his uh, chief advisor, Dominic Cummings, who very explicitly said, you know, protect the economy, let it run, herd immunity, and if a few pensioners die, so be it. Now, what really spurred the government to action wasn't so much the health situation as the collapse of the economy. Black Monday, Black Friday, another Black Monday. You know, we've seen a third of the value of worldwide stocks wiped out within the space of a week and ushering in a period when unemployment figures are so high and they're very massaged and subject to um, misreporting, really, uh, unemployment figures. So it's an area which you can, to get a simple figure is hard. But many economists are predicting that it, we're going to be looking at 25% rate. If you look at the economically inactive population, it was already 25% of the working age population not working before this crisis hit. So it's very hard to work out exactly what it will be, but it will be very high. So protecting the economy didn't work. Then suddenly, apparently realizing how many deaths that they would be overseeing and directly responsible for, we went into a very extreme lockdown. But the things that are necessary to get us out of lockdown were precisely the things that we should have been doing to avoid a general lockdown, but to take, take focused, targeted measures. And they remain widespread testing. But currently, out of the half a million NHS staff, we think around 5%, you know, one in 20 NHS staff have been tested. I personally have had symptoms, have had to self-isolate and then come back to work without ever having a test. And I'm by no means alone in that situation. So, you know, without widespread testing, we don't know where the disease is, we can't act appropriately. And how does one come out of lockdown then without triggering, a, again, another rise? And we're barely plateauing, but still with very, very many deaths, it's not even certain we've reached the worst point. And to come out of this, we need to go back to the straightforward health measures of testing, of isolation, of contact tracing, and protecting the population. It's clear that we haven't done that. And precisely when we're having promises that PPE will be delivered, but it's not delivered, then the hospital staff are vulnerable. Then infections can't be limited within our NHS, within our state of our hospitals, which, as we talked about before, are at huge overcapacity. You know, in the, in the late 80s, Britain had over 300,000 hospital beds. Today we have, going into the crisis, we had less than 140,000 beds. There's a drop of over half in 20, 30 years. And that wasn't just because of increase in technology, day surgery, all the rest. It was a deliberate policy to cut it. We have one of the lowest bed rates. So we have a low capacity rate. We have six um, ITU beds per 100,000 of the population. The way we've expanded those ventilators from the 4,000 we normally have up getting towards 10,000 is mainly by decommissioning everything that we do in theatres and using those theatre ventilators, which are not really designed for long-term ventilation uh, of ITU patients, but we're using them. And very slowly, we're having in dribs and drabs, a few come here and there, allegedly some go into the Nightingale Hospital, but really the entire effort to deal with coronavirus has been marked by failure after failure, reassurance after reassurance, upon which very little has been delivered.
What do you make, finally, and I'm grateful for your time as always, what do you make of a, of a country that claims it cannot count uh, the number of our old people dying in care homes? Uh, there is this thing that was uh, invented recently called the email. Uh, why can't the D Department of Health email every care home in the country and tell them they want an email every morning telling us how many people died of coronavirus in the, in the care home last night? Why can't they do that? What kind of a country, what kind of a rich country cannot do that? Well, I think it tells you a lot about the priorities of, of our government and of our economic system. Uh, and it is something which is uh, revolting a lot of people who are witnessing it. Of course, they're not absolutely sure what people in care homes are dying of because there isn't widespread testing within those homes. There was much talk a couple of weeks back about the three and a half million tests that would emerge and testing would become much more widespread. There was a lot of talk about getting testing up to 100,000 a day. You know, it, 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 testing went along at about two or 3,000 a day for a long time. It seems that it's got over 10,000. But really, these are pitifully small numbers. At this rate of testing, it will take the best part, George, of two decades to test the whole country. It's quite clear that this can't continue if we are going to deal with this and come out of the lockdown. And one wonders what the strategy really is at base at this well, current moment. They've clearly given up with the idea of question. I mean, either we're a third world country being run by uh, nincompoops, uh, or they have no intention of mass testing in the country. It, it, it certainly seems that way to me, because the time to institute this, to avoid the damage, was as we were seeing in February, the very first cases come into the country, when it really would have been possible to prevent this from running rampant through the community. But the initial strategy, which they outlined, which is a laissez-faire strategy, of really almost amounting to, you know, I, I hate to use the word, but a, a cull of our elderly and weak and, and vulnerable uh, in society, because these people, you can't make money from them, George. And, you know, the, the, the bourgeois, uh, uh, to quote Moliere, is someone who knows the price of everything, but the value of nothing. And they don't value the lives of workers that they cannot exploit, that they cannot make money from. And you have to feel, in the last analysis, that this is what is underlying uh, their, their strategy. And, and, you know, when they can offer the working people nothing, they offer them hatred. So they offer them scapegoats. So they offer them racism. So they offer them the scapegoat of China. And it does seem that there's a very widespread effort now to spread anti-Chinese propaganda. You know, I've heard Michael Gove uh, issue words. I've heard um, um, le leaders of the Labour Party issue words. And all of this talk, MI6 have been wheeled out, the former leader of MI6, to talk about, you know, totally changing our attitude towards China. So rather than offer us medical care, we're being offered, you know, a direction for our anger, a deflection of our anger away from our economic system, away from the privatization of our NHS, which has left it unable to cope, uh, and away from our current leadership, who are clearly, you know, failing in their duty to protect the British people. Thank you very much, as always, Dr. Ranjit Brar, a wonderful uh, tour of the horizon. Let's go quickly to the phones. David is in Houston, in Texas, not Ayrshire, on Joe Biden. Go ahead, David. Yeah, George, you know, sorry, 
Go ahead, Georgia. How do you know Joe Biden is not a out of bridge from the deep state? I got a bad reception here, Georgia. No, I'm hearing you. How do I know? How do I know Biden is what? Hello. Yes, David, you're on the air. Repeat your question. No, he's not. A, a, how do you know Joe, Joe Biden is not an outbreak from the deep state? I think oh, Joe. I, I got to call you back, George. Yeah, call us back. Let's go to Sean and Stevenage. Sean, are you there? I am, George. Go I ahead, sir. Go ahead. How you doing? I want to talk about this Labour report. Yeah, okay. Be sure you don't uh, break any laws when you're doing it. I'm going to try my very best because it's hard not to burst a blood vessel, let alone break Just any Just don't norm. mention any names. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I can't understand why these people in the governance and legal unit have been drummed out of the party. I can't understand why they're not really in the Tower of London. In fact, floating down the river would be my preferred solution for them because there's clear prima facie evidence here. They've undermined the elected leader of the party and his policies, they've undermined the electoral wishes and the democratic wishes of everybody that voted him in, which was a massive number. They've basically subverted our democracy here. Well, they, uh, yeah, the language they use, they yeah. call people that vote left-wing or support his policies trots. That's the language of the 1950s political establishment mm -hmm. in this country. Mm -hmm. I thought we'd gone past that. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we, we, haven't, no, we, we haven't uh, gone past that. And of course, uh, yeah. trots, was, trots was the kindest thing they said. Uh, but uh, but uh, I've got a bigger question. I think a better one. Uh, unless you're going to tell me uh, that Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell uh, did not know that all of this was happening, I'm asking you why they didn't do anything about it. Ah, well, that's a very interesting point as well, because it's their governance and legal unit. So they must have known the processes that are being run. They must have known the characters in there. And you can see from the report, they've actually accepted all the charges against the likes of Livingston and Williamson at face value. They didn't challenge them. They just wanted to know they were being investigated. Well, that's a bigger, yeah. the right results. But that's a bigger scandal, isn't it, Sean? I well, mean, uh, you, can have, uh, you can have rotten apples in any uh, organization, uh, and it's John Doe and Jane Doe and people we never heard of, not much political consequence, but we're talking about your leaders here. Uh, if your leaders are so bereft of the wherewithal to be leaders, in a way, they brought it all on themselves, didn't they? You, you have to wonder, you have to wonder, because it's clear from the report, there was one person making half of all anti-Semitism complaints and a third of all the cases well, you came see, from that one individual. If that, How's that work? But uh, You see, even I didn't know that one uh, until it, I read the report. But yeah, the, the, point is, the point is, Sean, why didn't Jeremy Corbyn go on the television? 500 times and say, yes, there have been a lot of allegations, but one person made 50% of them. Yeah. Why didn't he yeah. say that? I'd like to know who paid that one person as well. Well, not, they probably didn't need to be uh, paid. <laughs> but why did not, why was that not the default answer to every question on well, we... anti-Semitism in the Labour Party? Absolutely. If we could spot that, why couldn't he? You should have him on your show, George. Get him on to answer. Here's David in Halifax on the line. 
Let's take a call from him. David, welcome. Yeah, my question is, after, I mean, I've been on the left for a long time and I admire yourself and uh, especially Malcolm X, can't believe that you eulogise him just then while I'm just making the call. That's made my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but looking at the left, you tried to set up an alternative party again to Labour, quite right too. Uh, but the history of them being is one of despair, whether it's Socialist Alliance, whether it's Respect Your Own, whether it's Tusk, just keep having left groups falling out and leaving them. And then they're all sneering and thinking Corbyn was going to do it all. And that's where everybody should be in, in the Labour Party. I wonder what they've got to say now. Starmer, so soon elected now to lead Labour, whether they're uh, ashamed of themselves now for undermining the previous projects and whether you think after all this, when things settle down, whether the left have learned any lessons from setting up independent parties then splitting and whether they will put their egos to one side and stick together and, all, and give to today's working class a party they need, well to the left of Labour. Well, thank you, David. I, I take a self-denying ordinance on these matters on this platform, uh, not for any legal reasons. I'd be perfectly legally entitled, but out of courtesy to the platforms that uh, we are performing on and the, uh, the people in Sputnik and RT who are uh, uh, making this broadcast possible, uh, out of respect to them, I don't proselytize for my own uh, political party uh, or goals uh, here on this platform. However, I will tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, tomorrow night at 8 p.m., uh, on my Facebook page and for members of my political party by Zoom, uh, by uh, uh, direct uh, means through the Zoom uh, process, I will be talking about uh, the collapse of the Corbyn project. And I do think that everybody who's interested in left-wing politics should tune into that. Whether you support me, like me, whether you loved Corbyn or didn't, whether you're glad or sad that the project has collapsed, I think you should tune in at least tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on my Facebook page. George Galloway official and the subject of the talk will be the collapse of the Corbyn project. I know Corbyn better than uh, the great majority of people. I've known him longer than almost anyone else. I understand his politics and why they failed, I think better than anyone else. And I invite you to see if I'm right about that uh, tomorrow night. David, thanks for the call. Craig is in Glasgow. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Craig. Oh, good evening to you, George. I hope you're keeping safe. In this yes, so far so good. Thank you, Craig. Um, I was saying, sort of calling up about, oh, about eight o'clock, well, just after that, you had a, a fellow from London who was on about the, the Scottish government's response yes, to that. Yes, yes. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, I would give you a point that it's been equally as bad as the UK's response, um, but I think it's potentially been worse because... You know, from our point of view, we've had a government who has spent years pointing the finger at everybody else but themselves for the reason um, that we find ourselves, you know, facing the situations that we mm. do. Um, and with this, it was no different because we have to remember that, you know, Sturgeon and the SNP can try and point fingers of blame, but actually, with the powers they already have, they could have decided to close Scotland down before 
the UK made an announcement. Certainly Wales had closed down their schools before um, we had considered closing ours down. Um, and, it, it, you know, it comes from, um, you know, I think in Scotland we are not represented really by anybody properly because we have a party who's concerned by independence and independence alone. And I think this coronavirus situation, I honestly think part of the reason the response has been so weak is because they've got, I think they've got one eye on this and one eye on the fact that, of course, next year we've got a Scottish parliamentary election that they will no doubt be beginning preparations for um, by the end of this year. So I think that's their bigger concern, which is frightening, frankly, for for Scotland um, to think that we're in that situation. And then you look at the shambles, frankly, that's happening down south as well. Um, that you know, it's I I believe we live in the age of incompetence right now, as far as our politics is concerned. And this pandemic has displayed it um, in an unfortunately fatal way for many people, um, but in the worst possible way. Um, but also, for me, it's not just the politicians. We don't have, in this country, or certainly in Britain as a whole, any real mainstream media outlet that is truly unbiased, um, which means the information people get, I don't think, is accurate. Um, the vast majority of the time, for accurate information, you need to, I think, look at um, stations or programmes like yourself um, and other sort of fringe media, if you will. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't see ourselves as uh, as fringe media, but I take your point, uh, and I, I think I know what you meant by that. One of the reasons why we have an audience every week of between half a million and 1.1 million, the highest one that we have had, is precisely because the BBC and Sky and ITV are not to be trusted, and nobody does trust them. Uh, sometimes people watch them, they uh, can't have the mother of all talk shows every night. Uh, sometimes they watch them and fall for it. Uh, but the critical mass is developing in this country, which says that our country is deeply dysfunctional. Uh, that it is run by people who are not fit to run it. And it is reported on the people who are running it uh, inadequately, incompetently, negligently, are not being reported on, held to account by, uh, uh, analysed by either the opposition, in Scotland's case, where's the Scottish Labour Party? Uh, and in the Westminster case, where is Keir Starmer? or by the so-called fourth estate, the journalists and broadcasters have performed, if anything, even more miserably than the politicians that they are supposed to be holding to account. Thanks, Craig. I couldn't have put it more eloquently than you. I won't try. Guy is in Stoke-on-Trent. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, yeah good evening, George. George, New Zealand, I've got family in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, Last time I checked, they'd had nine fatalities. Now, I can't be any more accurate. My IT system's all gone down. But mm. 48 hours ago, they'd lost nine lives. At this, well, for the last three weeks, every person flying into New Zealand is compulsory taken into quarantine for 14 nights. There's no, there's no debate. 
you are taken into quarantine. The government there have commandeered hotels and suitable accommodation, and they're put in there, and they're kept there, and they're monitored. Um, their PM, Shikinda, I think that's how you pronounce it, yeah. is proving highly popular. She's done very well, hasn't she? The feedback we get is that, that yeah, she's tough, but they like her, and, and also another thing she's done is she's cut all the government salaries by 20%. Including her um, own, yeah. Including her own, yeah. Um, and can, can I just say, the, the country you ought to be looking at and trying to analyse is the German German response. Now, they've got a population of 83 million. Yeah, so more people than us, yeah, uh, a European they, country like us. Same kind yeah, of population yeah. densities as us. Yeah, but they've lost 25% of the fatalities which we've lost. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I would have thought the two main factors are, one, that they can test in the region of half a million people per week, and two, they are resourced in the rate of five times greater than we are per capita. So for every, for every one ventilator we've got, they've got five, and that's not over the country, that's per 100,000 people. Remarkable, remarkable guy. Thanks for that great call. The hour uh, uh, is running, though. Rashid is in California. Let's hear from him. Rashid, welcome. Thank you, George. And just following up with what other accommodators have said about the similarities between the, uh, the recently leaked report about the Labour Party's machinations by unelected members of the Labour Party basically intending to destroy Jeremy Corbyn and what we've seen in the United States, where not only 2016, but now 2020, uh, people within the, the Democratic Party went out of their way to uh, derail uh, Bernie Sanders' efforts. Uh, what we see here is uh, really actually very good news for people on both sides of the Atlantic, because these elements are finally being exposed rather than being, being whispered by people at rumor and strange discussions, it's now in the open. Just as the Chilcot report once and for all showed that Tony Blair was a lot, well, was deceitful possibly and could be described by some people as a warmonger, now we have evidence that people within the parties that we put all our energy and all our thoughts and prayers with are simply being derailed by individuals who have different agendas. And we understand that that's not just limited to the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Labour Party, the Conservative Party, the Liberal Dems. Wherever you go in the Western world and you have political parties, these problems appear over and over again. And it's about time we had the courage, uh, using, uh, since I'm in Long Beach, so close to Mexico, that we have the cojones to finally cross that line and address these questions in a civil, honest, and open manner where we all can get to a better, more respectable place. Fantastic call. Distance. Fantastic call. Stay safe uh, in, uh, in, uh, in California, Rashid. Thank you. Uh, here is Yvonne in Austria. Let's hear from her. Go ahead, Yvonne. Hi, George. Hello. How are you? Uh, nice to hear from you again. I love that accent, that Austrian <laughs> accent. When I listen to that, I wanted to read to you something. Now, I've asked her loose in the whole, actually, the top of the, the um, leak here. It's um, a, 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 from Vicky Leaks. Um, and it's um, 
Uh, I've lost the top of it to tell you what exactly. It was a conference that went on in France. And uh, it's uh, uh, messages that have been uh, cables, it's from the cables that have been written to the various countries that were taking part in this conference. It's about the fire warfare. And uh, there's, there's a message in here uh, to the French to say, the U.S. believes participants would benefit from hearing about your experience assisting China in setting up a biosafety level 4 BSL-4 laboratory at the Wuhan Institute for Biology from the export control and tangible technology transfer perspectives. And so there's, it's an email from the U.S. giving um, France a talking point to tell the people at this bio uh, discussion, uh, to tell them about how they helped set up the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Yeah, yeah, it's a joint operation. Uh, and they're not going yeah. to be able to wash their hands on that. When China no. finally answers uh, these, uh, these uh, insults and slanders, uh, they're not exactly. going to be able to uh, avoid that. Uh, interesting, Yvonne, thanks for that. One last call. From Jerry in Crystal Palace. Just because he's in Crystal Palace, I couldn't resist it. Go ahead, Jerry. Hello, hello. Yes. Oh, hi there. How are you? I'm good. You're on the air, sir. Okay, thank you. Just a brief, quick question. I'd like to know your opinion on um, the Brexit situation. How do you make a business trade agreement with the world in this situation? Uh, well, we've already Brexited. We'll be leaving, I think at the end of the year, uh, either with a deal uh, with the European Union, which even more desperately needs uh, a deal than we do, given the current state of things both here and there. Uh, we must leave. We voted to leave. Parliament has passed a deal that we leave. And so we must, don't you think, Jerry? Of course, but once we've reached the December deadline and we've actually officially left, where do you go from there on, on trade negotiations when everyone's shut down and things are going to be slow to take up again? Yeah. Well, um, I'm in favour of, uh, of a deal, but if we don't get one, I'm in favour of uh, trading with everybody on World Trade Organization terms. I always have been. Uh, but if we don't get a deal, we ain't paying the divorce payment. Uh, you can't uh, be denied a divorce and still be expected to pay. Uh, you can't uh, be in the situation uh, where they expect us to fork out £40 billion when we badly need that money here to rebuild our country, rebuild our economy uh, once we have left. Unfortunately, Jerry, the hour has defeated us and can talk uh, no longer. It's been marvellous for me. Next week, we're going to deal with the ragged, trousered philanthropist so make sure you've read it by next Sunday. We'll have an expert on and we'll have a proper discussion about it. Come back next week, same time, same place.